<laughs> All right, kids, listen to this. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field has yet, was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had been sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no person, no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground when the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils. Wait, 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 listen to that. Listen, listen. Grab your nostrils. You can do it over your nose. Grab your nostrils. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Thank you for reading with me. Great job, guys. <laughs> you got to order by number. The veto is number five. <laughs> Let me continue reading. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And you have this excursus that happens. A river flowed out of Eden to, to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there was gold. And the gold of that land is good. Medellium, Bedellium, and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For on the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. May God bless the reading of his scriptures. Let me pray our Haitian prayer. Our great doctor, your word is like alcohol. When poured on an infected wound, it burns and stings, but only then does it kill the germs. If it doesn't burn, it doesn't do any good. Father, we are all hungry baby birds this morning. Our heart mouths are gaping wide, waiting for you to fill us. Father, a cold wind seems to have chilled us. <laughs> Wrap us in the blanket of your word and warm us up. Lord, we find your word like cabbage. As we pull down the leaves, we get closer to the heart. And as we get closer to the heart, it is sweeter still. Amen. So some of you may be wondering why we're spending six weeks on two chapters of the Bible. And that's because I felt bad about doing it for 12 weeks. <laughs> These chapters in the Bible, the first two and the third, I mean, it's not like there are more important or less important parts of the Bible, but... But these are foundational things, simple, simple truths that need to be dug deep into our souls like God made you. And we can get, as uh, Andy Crouch says, that we, we, can, we can have a practical Bible and a real Bible. And he says, 
for too much of uh, the Christian tradition, the practical Bible has forgotten the first two chapters of the Bible and the second two chapters of the, or the last two chapters of the Bible. And it's not like those aren't super duper important. It's not like they're hidden somewhere where you got to go find them and it's really hard. They're the first two and last two chapters of the Bible. And I agree with him. He says to miss these chapters, the first on creation, the second on the new creation is to miss, is to be able to miss the whole point of the biblical story. When these chapters drop out of our functional Bibles, our understanding of culture, calling, and even salvation is badly weakened. So that's why we're spending this time in these chapters. So we found out that God has made us and with that the maker makes the meaning of our lives. That was the, the first part and, and that the meaning is, is cosmic, the pleasure of God gushing forth into all creation, his beautiful kingdom made known to the world. Today we focus in a little bit, some people call it the second Genesis story, the second creation story. It's actually more like the blow-up map version of it. And we hone in to, most people think just the sixth day, some scholars say the third through the sixth day. It doesn't really matter, it's just, a, it's, it's just focusing in to pick particular events. My take is the sixth day. And so it narrows this focus, even as we've had this global and cosmic focus, we narrow in and yet we really get to see the place that God's put us and for what purposes, that God provides a place for us. So um, Isaac Newton got a retweet this week. Let me read it to you. I do not know what I, what I may appear to the world, but to myself, I seem to have only been, been only like a boy playing on the seashore, diverting myself in now and then, finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. That came beaming in from William Shatner. <laughs> William Shatner went to space. Captain Kirk went to space this week, y'all. <laughs> and he texted this. Oh, and then he had an interview afterward. He says, oh my God, it's indescribable to see the blue color of the atmosphere shoot by like that. It's so thin. You're going close to 2,000 miles per hour. I don't know if that's true or not. And through the 50 miles of it in an instant, and then you're in the black. It's mysterious. And you know there are galaxies all up there, but all you see is the black. And now below is the light, the most profound experience I can imagine. Down there, Mother Earth, comfort, and up here, death. Is it death? It's so moving. I never expected it. I'm so filled with emotion, so extraordinary. The air which is keeping us alive is thinner than your skin in relationship to the universe. It's a sliver, immeasurably small when you think of it. And then he says this, and this is the part that got me. I hope I never recover from this feeling. It's so beautiful in its own way. I don't know anything about Captain Kirk's faith or William Shatner's faith. But I know that he saw the globe that God had made. I think it was a three-minute total thing, and I dropped that down. And he had to invoke words like mystery, beauty, and even God's name 
And I don't think you could completely say that it would have been in vain. Shatner had a shattering, shocking moment. And what the scriptures do for us is give us a Shatner shock so that we might see. I am totally coining that, by the way. (laughs) That God provides us this place to be. A place for a place in the earth for earthlings like us. And he gives us perspective on how we inhabit this place. It's a view from the orbit of the earth, but it's intimate and connected and tied in. And I hope that it will shake us, it'll shock us, and that we will never, ever want to not remember it. These are the generations of the heavens of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This is um, actually this language of these are the generations. There are 10 of these throughout Genesis. So more than the chapters themselves, the chapters and verses, these phrases, these 10 among these 50 chapters are the, are the scaffolding on which the narrative is built. And this is a super interesting one because most of the times when we come by genealogies, we're like, oh, this is the part I don't really get. But this is a really easy genealogy. It's just a trunk or maybe just one branch because it's about the first created human being and then both of them together. I'm going to give you a mashup of this, not just read through it all again, but, but, but try to tell the story in a way that the salient features come out, the snippets. We flash back to earlier in that creation week. There's no bush or small plant in the field, no rain or dew yet. But the worst thing of all is that there is no human. There's no image bearer to till and to tend the ground, to continue the forming and feeling that God has started, that he began. So then this mist comes up. He brings it, and it begins to, begins to water the ground. And then God creates Hadam. It's important here that that is the human Church nerd break, it is, not the, it is not the pronoun for Adam. It's the man, Ha'adam. It's not a proper name. Now, what is a proper name, and the first time in all of Scripture that it comes up, is the one who created Ha'adam, Yahweh. This is the language of the covenant God, and we hadn't had it thus far in the book. So the writer tells us, using images of a God work week, using language about work. First, there's this Yahweh as master potter, right? He forms the man out of dust, probably better translated dirt, so we could have some mud in there. And then God breathes into earthenware nostrils. The writer gives us another image, not just the creator, the artist, but then this kind of like proto-CPR ER person who breathes in a weird way, life into God. Let that be a life from God into man. Let that be that kind of Shatner shock. Hadam, breathe. Because God breathed into him. Hadam lived. Let the mystery and beauty invoke words, invoke words like, only God could do this. Pray that we would never recover from this reality. The scene gets a setting. Yahweh, the covenant God, takes the place as a site planner and a gardener and an arborist. 
He makes Eden and then a garden within Eden and then flowing out of that into all of the world. And he drops the Hadam right in the middle of it all. And it's clearly, because there was no one there, clearly it's for, for, for the, the man to actually live and tend and till this ground. It's already a beautiful garden, but beautiful gardens need gardeners, or it just runs away with itself. So these trees spring up, right? Every kind, especially mango and papaya. Is it maples? Is it oaks? Is it birch? Is it sequoia? Is it a tree like the master artist in, at Syracuse did that then becomes the others or several just like them? We don't exactly know. But he made them to spring up every kind of tree that is what? Pleasant to the eye and good for food. What God made was a place that people, humans, would tend and till and toil in to bring beauty and bounty to the world. Beauty and bounty to the world. He didn't have to make it pleasing to look at. He did. And the whole point of the four rivers is not so much, I don't, I'm not sure if it's a geographical lesson we can, we can get from it because we don't actually know uh, anything about the first two rivers. But it is definitely stoking the imagination of God putting people on earth and, that, and, 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 and all the ways and, 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 and wonders of, of what that means. I mean, there's good gold in Havilah. And I don't know what bdellium is. I probably should have looked it up, but then that would have probably been 10 minutes down the rabbit trail for me. Onyx stone. The, the description of the rivers everywhere. The richness of it being fed, the ground being fed. There's no, re there's no wonder why other biblical writers call this, and Coldplay call this, paradise. It is a place of beauty and bounty that we enter into to bring more beauty and bounty to. And it's supposed to wow the imagination. It is perfectly Christian. In fact, we're called to kind of both anticipate the new heavens and earth and remember and hope to work toward paradise and let our hearts be stirred for paradise to recollect the dream and build the future of paradise. The implications for this are staggering. These simple truths that go deep down into our souls change the way we function, the way we orient to earth and earthlings like us. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to meet with you this Wednesday. I'll be here by 1145. If you just want to talk through some of these things or what they mean. God provides not just the place, but the purpose of the place. I don't know exactly how many creation narratives there are in the world but I would love to hear one that came close to the dignity and glory of this one. The earth, the animals, the tilling, the place humanity has in it, all the tending. And you must not imagine paradise as if it only, uh, 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 paradise either um, in the past or the new heavens and the new earth, 
as if work weren't in it. Work is a pre-fall activity, and it will be an activity in heaven. Now, there won't be thorns and thistles, or us with sinful hearts and motives. But work is a gift from God. And I wanted to do this right after we did God Rested, so that you have both of those holding together. It is rest and work and work and rest. Humans toil. They till and tend for the beauty and bounty of the earth and those who live in it. Humans toil. They till and they tend for the beauty and the bounty of the earth and those who live in it. We can stick that one down 60 feet into our souls. It changes everything. It's the original color of the image bearers. And just like being an image bearer, even after the fall, it remains. And in one sense, it remains with more pressing need that we would tend a garden with thorns and thistles as well. Good, satisfying work without thorns, tending and tilling in eternal delight is the picture of heaven. This is why the pictures of heaven with chubby cherub children and sitting on puffy clouds is utterly insufficient for the scriptures. The, new, the last two chapters called the new heavens and the new earth that he makes new. And you know the temptations as a uh, son of Adam, if you will. You know the temptations to, to either ignore this one way by exploiting earth and its earthlings or living into a kind of sluggardness that says, oh, it's just too big, it's just too much, I can't handle it. This is why idleness and ill treatment are twin sins with the same problem. They don't take seriously our purpose on the earth. That's why exploitation and excuses are twin sins of the same problem. That's why paltry, unlivable wages and excessive wages are part of the problem, twin sins of the same problem. Y'all, we don't orient to the universe, to the world, to the earth that we live in with, with our moral compasses hooked on some type of arbitrary market or man-made philosophy. Those things can really help us, but we don't hook our compasses there. But by divine calling, there's gold and onyx in those hills. And they're not just for us to hoard for ourselves, but for our neighbors as well. And we gather that bounty for the whole earth and all its inhabitants. This is why neither capitalism or socialism or communism can hold the imagination of God's calling. I'm not saying there are not super helpful things there. There's some really super bad things in there and some super helpful things in there. But we tend to the earth. We toil based on the flourishing of the earth, the garden, and all who are in it, the bounty and beauty of the earth. Hadam, you have meaningful work. One of my favorite cross-cultural workers in Ethiopia says, I'm here to help people find Jesus in a job. I love that. I love that. Working full-time is a gift. 
And that's not an economic philosophy. Or maybe it is. It's just a, one from a different perspective. That's a biblical sense of tending and toiling for beauty and bounty. And if you're working full or time and a half and, and, and can't support your family, there's something wrong with the economy. I'm not declaring what full time is. I'm not trying to have a political conversation, though I think politicians need to have these conversations. Especially in an ever-changing global economy that is still fallen, these are really hard things to talk through and work through. There are thorns and thistles and droughts and wars and selfishness in us. Sometimes governments have done amazing things to help this kind of vision of the world, and sometimes they are all in the way of it. But so are businesses. So we have to take some humility and some patience and make sure our moral compass comes from here and not the isms and the ists. What we need is a creativity and imagination and a moral grounding in us being the bearers of this image, the workers in God's name. And when I'm talking about work, please hear me. I am talking about all kinds of work, from wiping baby bottoms to cleaning up spreadsheets, all of it. You know I went and have talked to you for years about, hey, can we get some like vocational guilds together to have conversations about the, the particular ways that, that you have to face these issues in your, in your places with your small business owners or in the medical world or whatever, legal eagles, healthcare workers, educators, stay-at-home spouses, whatever it is. Let us ask the Spirit to move towards us in this. Help us grow in this and be humble with one another as we walk through it. Don't forget, one of our own elders, the gospel, uh, uh, Rob Alexander, has written a book, The Gospel-Centered Life at Work. Um, the royalties will go to me. Actually, they'll go to Syracuse. Um, work is never to be avoided like the sluggard. It's never to be indulged in like the greedy. It is a gift and a calling. Now, here's the problem. I could have said almost everything I just said, and we would not have had a Christian sermon. Because Jesus shifts all this in a different way, both in kind of, as the New Testament goes on, we realize that he was part of this creation, all those plural pronouns that, that were like, why does it say us? And why does it say we in our image? You know, why does it say that? As you read along in the scriptures and kind of go along in the story, you're like, you, you read scriptures that, that, that talk about Jesus, and the New Testament writers just kind of assume it and just keep going. They, it's not even like they're making this, like, um, they, they don't feel like there's going to be a big fuss about it. Like, by, think, by him all things were made. Or this incredible opening of John, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. All things came into, him through, came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. There is one Lord Jesus Christ by whom all whom are all things, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. He's the Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the world. Amazing. That he's our creator as well. And that the creator would become a, 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 an incarnate creature? Come on now. 
Let that one sink in deep. Everything I just said about the Father also pertains to Jesus in this. Let that have the, the, the Shatner shock in your soul. But Jesus isn't just the creator. He's actually the fulfiller of the purpose. I don't think it's a, um, a plot spoiler for you to remember that just in the next chapter, it doesn't really work out the way it's supposed to work out. That hu humanity ended up falling for the bounty and beauty that God created instead of the God who created it. Our Lord created one boundary, a boundary for their good. Like a parent says, hold my hand when we go through the parking lot. Born of love, one command, one boundary, a life-saving boundary. And death. They fell for it. And in Adam, so did the rest of all the creation with the thorns and the thistles. Which is why when Jesus comes back, he says, actually, I'm going to make you a new kind of creation. I'm going to make you something new. In fact, you have to be born anew, born again. And the listener was like, wait a second, back in the womb kind of thing? What are we talking about? And I love it because sometimes like, oh, that's just silly. He was just such a concrete thinker. This guy was a Pharisee. He knew what he was talking about. He was saying, what kind of radical thing are you talking about? A new connection to the Father, a regenerate, no longer dead soul, and a body that would live from that place. That's why the Father sent him, right? That the, all, the, the fallen images, image bearers would not perish but have everlasting life. This is why Paul has a construct in Romans that we've been through before and a scripture has in general of, of you're either in Adam or you're in the second Adam, Christ. You're either part of that genealogy of death or you're part of the genealogy of Jesus. And that Jesus has done is inaugurated and fulfilled all the purposes of the first Adam. And has taken it back over under a different, new, uh, original, eternal reign. And because he, he lived through all those original and eternal purposes without sin. And so he comes and fulfills the work of the Ha'adam. He was truly working as a physician a multiplier of food and its resources. He calls himself an architect and a builder who's created a temple of living stones. Certainly in hospitality and entertainment with the feeding of 5,000. He even says he's like an innkeeper. He's got a house, his dad's got a house with many rooms and he's going to prepare it for us. I know you could be, this could sound silly imagistic stuff, but do not let it be that. I think he's a sommelier and a James Beard chef. We'll prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest wines. Shepherd, certainly cultural leader, political activist in, in an ancient sense of the word political, legislator, banker, counselor, advocate, writer, teacher, friend, artist, 
in fact, also a carpenter, and many more things. This breathes dignity into all of our work, but it also gives us the safe place and to enter the one who's done this well and now leads us in our labors, in the place and space of grace, in the future renewed Eden, because there is death and decay, and the second Adam has come to renew it. Death was earned in the first Adam's disobedience, and grace flows from the second Adam's perfect obedience to God. It was his delight to live within the boundaries of his father. So if you're broken and bruised, and you're longing for the beauty and the bounty, if you are some days too greedy, and some days too slothful, too greedy or slothful to be generous, then we run to the one, the second Adam, the one worker who worked well, and we take up our lives in him. If you're failing and you're tailing, tending or tilling, run to the Lord Jesus. If you've given up on your hope for beauty and bounty, even in this dark world, run to the Lord Jesus. Come to the Christ, who is the fulfillment of our purpose and the guarantor of our place with him in paradise. Remember the tree of life? Remember the grafted 40 fruit tree? Remember the instinct of Eden to till and tend for beauty and bounty? Here's a smash up of the last two chapters of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. A little later, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. And behold, I'm making all things new. The wall was built with jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear glass, the first wall, jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, agate, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, onyx. There's seven more. I won't go through them all. And I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life flowing from the throne, flowing through the throne of the God and of the Lamb, of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. That's bounty. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter in, enter the city by the gates. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let them come who desires to take the water of life without price. Come. This is what our Lord Jesus has done. And this, as we run to him and live our life in him, is our destiny. And I'll end with the last verse of the scriptures. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.